want to welcome you to Central this morning where we seek transformation through the renewing work of the Lord Jesus. And I pray that's what you experience here today, the work of Christ in your life. Before we turn to our text, I just want to say thank you. Thank you to so many who have prayed for Missy and me as we went to Mayo Clinic a few weeks ago uh, to deal with migraines. And I just want to say the Lord answered your prayers. I'm so grateful for, for all the ways that you lifted us up. The whole week we were there to arrange yourselves into a, into a prayer calendar. It was incredibly encouraging and moving to us for how well you loved us as your pastor. Um, the Lord answered. And uh, I can't say that I'm completely pain-free, but I'm pretty close. And I told Mary, uh, Rosemary Oliver just a few minutes ago that I feel good today. And this is probably the first Sunday in a year I can say that I really feel good. So, so thank you for your care. Thank you for your prayers and all your support over the past number of months. Well, here we are at the end of Hebrews, and maybe some of you thought we'd never get there, but here we are, <clears throat> chapter 13, and we've been walking and journeying with these uh, Jewish background Christians who are in Rome, and they were struggling. They were struggling with their faith, struggling to live with Jesus in that place of hardship, and uh, they needed encouragement. So here we come to the end of this book, this sermon letter, and if you were the one who were going to give a blessing to God's people at the end, if you knew that there were people who were struggling and had suffered incredible hardship, and you're going to give them a benediction, a word of God's favor, His kindness to lift up their weary souls, what would you include? What would you want to say at the end, so to summarize what the whole sermon letter was about and to keep us rooted in the power of God and send us out with the hand, hand in hand with Jesus, the one who is our, our, our savior, our friend. What, what would you say to wrap it all up? Let's pray as we turn our hearts to Hebrews 13 and find out what this pastor said. Oh Lord, we ask that you would send your spirit and open the eyes of our hearts that we might behold Jesus, that we would hear from him, and that we would lay down our lives to follow him. Lord, we ask that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts would be pleasing and acceptable in your sight. Through our rock and redeemer, the Lord Jesus, we ask it. Amen. Hebrews 13, beginning in verse 20. Now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep. By the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Natalie Gilbert was only 13 years old when she was given the opportunity of a lifetime. She was asked to sing the national anthem for an NBA Western Conference playoff game. Now, I don't know how you would feel if you were asked to sing in front of the TV cameras in such an amazing time, especially at 13 years old. I don't know how you would feel, but when Natalie stepped onto midcourt to sing, she saw this sold-out crowd. She saw the TV camera, she saw every eye on her, and her mind went blank. She couldn't remember the words to the national anthem. 
So she closed her eyes and tried to remember them, shook her head and and started again. She got a few words in and then she forgot the words again. Can you imagine how afraid she must have been? I mean, how worried, thinking, I can't do this. I'm not going to make it. Everybody's watching me. I'm so embarrassed. I can't do this. But Maury's Cheeks, who was the coach then of the Portland Trailblazers, walked out to Natalie at midcourt, and he put his arm around her, and he asked, can I sing with you? And so he helped her remember the words and began to sing this song with this this 13-year-old girl. And what you need to know is Maury's Cheeks was not a good singer. When the microphone was there and you picked him up and like, whoo, Maurice, you should probably go sit down. But he sang with her and she gained more confidence with having this coach by her side, helping her to remember the words and singing with her. And then the whole crowd picked up on it. The whole crowd began to sing loudly with them all the way to the end. And the whole arena thundered and the home of the brave. It was a beautiful moment. Sometimes we're a lot like Natalie. We just can't see our way forward. You can't figure out how am I going to get done what I'm supposed to do, what's in front of me. I need somebody to step in, come alongside me to remind me I'm not alone. Helping me to do what's too big, too scary, too difficult for us to manage on our own. We need someone to step in like that, don't we? If you were writing this letter to people who were afraid, maybe a little bit like Natalie standing all alone at midcourt, I can't make it. I'm not going to be able to do this. How would you wrap up encouragement to them to help them keep on going? But what the pastor says here at the end is he reminded them they were not alone. They faced the challenge of living for Jesus in an incredibly hard environment, hard circumstances, but he wanted them to know you do not do it alone. The Lord Jesus has come and he's with you. So whatever sorrows or joys you face in your life today, this week, this year, you don't walk into those all by yourself, but you walk into those with the living Lord beside you. Now, my hunch is that there are lots of us in this room this morning and those watching online who need that kind of encouragement in your life too. Remember, you don't face your life alone, but the Lord of all creation is with you. But specifically, what about the Lord who has come did the pastor write that would encourage these folks when their life gets hard? Only encourage you and me. The first point that he makes is we have a God who has made peace with his enemies. A God who's made peace with his enemies. Look carefully at the title that the pastor uses for this, this God who steps in to help. And he calls him in verse 20, the God of peace. And there are lots of titles about God in the Old Testament and the New. And if you flip through the Old Testament, you will see again and again God uh, called the God of the hosts of heaven. What that means is he's the God of the armies of heaven. He's the God who sends his armies to defend his people when they need defending. He's the God who has the power to completely defeat his enemies, to destroy them with the word. He's the God of the armies of heaven. But for us, He has become a God of peace, even though we're his enemies. Even though we've lived in hostility and have been his enemies, this God has made peace with us. And the ground and the foundation for all of that peace is the blood of the eternal covenant, the blood of Jesus shed for us, who is, as the, the, the book calls him, the great high priest. 
He's our great high priest and he's also the sacrifice. He's both the priest and the price to pay for all of our sin. And he has made peace with God on our behalf. The Apostle Paul says it in Romans 5 this way, for if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, how much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life? God has made peace with us. Now, maybe you're here this morning and you think, I've never really counted myself an enemy of God. Never really thought of myself in that way that I've ever been God's enemy. But the Bible says that we are that we have been God's enemies. Because of our sin, we deserve judgment. We deserve condemnation. We were God's enemies. But God did something about that while we were still his enemies. Jesus went to the cross carrying all of our guilt, all of our shame, all of our condemnation, and he was judged there in our place. What the Bible teaches us is that our judge has become our savior. The the God of the armies of heaven has become for us a God of peace. He has made peace for us when there was hostility, and he's done it all by his undeserved grace. You are at peace with God through Jesus. And here's where that helps when life gets really hard. You have a peace with God that is completely reliable, completely dependable because of what Jesus has done for you. Some of us live our lives filled with anxiety, filled with fear over our our performance before the Lord, looking for peace and asking, what do I have to do? What do I have to do to have a little bit of peace with God? And maybe you feel like God is disappointed in you or he's, he's even set himself against you and the proof is the difficulty you're facing. All this hardship is nothing more than than proof that God is disappointed with me. And you might wear yourself out trying to figure out what do I need to do to have a little bit of peace with God. And that angst, we worry, we struggle, we strive. The writer of Hebrews answer is to what do we have to do to have peace with God? If you've trusted Jesus for your salvation, if you've surrendered to him in your life, the answer is nothing. You don't have to do anything to have peace with God because Jesus has given his blood that we might have peace. He's done all that is required that you would have a real and lasting peace with God, not hostility, not enmity, not a really disappointed heavenly father, but peace, a completely reliable peace because Jesus's blood has eternal effect, he says here. Peace with God It's not something that's just temporary. It's not peace until you really screw up the next time. But by the blood of his cross, the Lord Jesus, his sacrifice for you is sufficient to cover all of your past sins. Every one of them. And we look back on our lives and we live with so much regret sometimes. But Jesus is the one who's wiped us clean by his blood. But not just that, the sins you commit right now. The sins we continue to commit, Jesus' blood is sufficient for all of that. And even the sins that we will commit into the future. Jesus' blood is sufficient to cover all of our sins. We have peace with God because of an eternal covenant promise. The blood of Jesus that is eternally effective. Friends, by covenant, God has bound himself to you. By life and death, a pledge that was sealed by the blood of Jesus. Jesus. 
And our God is faithful. He always keeps his promises. Now, that doesn't mean that you're always going to feel at peace with God. But friend, if you've trusted the Lord Jesus for your salvation, never doubt his strength to hold you fast through all eternity. You have peace with God, even on your worst day. The worst day you can remember living, if you've trusted Jesus, you have peace with the living God that day and every day thereafter because this peace is dependable because of Jesus. I hope that's encouraging to you today that your heavenly father isn't up there plotting how to get you back. He's not hostile toward you, but you have peace through Jesus. Second, another encouraging word that this pastor leaves us, leaves struggling Christians with is to remember that Jesus is the great shepherd of the sheep. Now, this is the only time that that title, shepherd, is spoken about Jesus in this whole book. And here it comes at the end. Because I think in some ways, shepherd kind of wraps up all the different other things that Hebrews describes what Jesus does for us. He's the shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. Isaiah 63 and John 10 talk about that. He's the shepherd who guides us when we, when we need his watchful care. He watches out for us as we experience danger in this life. Your shepherd cares for you. He, he cares for the flock to lead and guard and guide the flock. He does that for you here. He's this great shepherd, infinitely tender, patient, protective, vigilant, as shepherds are. But once again, we're called sheep. And that's not a really flattering picture of my life, nor of yours. John Stott, the great British pastor who's now with the Lord, used to have a cottage in Wales. And his cottage was next door to a sheep herder. And Stott talks about one night the sheep herder was talking with him about the image of the Bible that it uses for, for us as sheep. And his neighbor told him, he said, sheep are not the clean and cuddly creatures they look from a distance. On the contrary, they are dirty and subject to nasty pests. They need to be regularly dipped in strong chemicals in order to rid them of lice, ticks, and worms. If that's not enough, they are unintelligent and obstinate, this herder says. Now, Stott was taking all this in, and he, he added, and while I was reading, he said, I hesitate to describe the people of God as dirty and as literally lousy and obstinate, but that's what the Bible says we are. And not only that, but unlike our animals that we love in our homes, our cats and our dogs who can find their way home when they're out and about, sheep have no sense of direction. They're absolutely helpless to defend themselves. In fact, sheep die without a shepherd. And the reality is that we sheep so often think we don't need God to shepherd us. We don't need Jesus to, to guide us and defend us because we're doing a pretty good job of that ourselves, we think sometimes. Have you ever had the thought run through your mind and get lodged in your heart? The, the, the thought that goes, God, you don't know what's best for me. I know what should happen. I know what's best for me. And you are holding out on me, God. There's something I want. There's something I need. And you're holding it out for me. I know what's best. And I'm not sure I can trust a God who doesn't give me what I want. Who doesn't give me what I need. Have any of you ever had that thought lodge in your mind or your heart? I know it's been in mine. 
What this text says is Jesus is the great shepherd who leads us into what is good and what is pleasing to God. And so often he leads us into places that are counterintuitive to where we would lead ourselves. In fact, many times Jesus leads us into a place that feels like death to us. Death to self, death to our own agenda, death to our own ambitions. But friends, the way of life is following Jesus as he leads us in a different way, in a different manner than we might lead our own lives if we were left to shepherd ourselves. We may want a shepherd who would steer us clear of challenges in this world. But the great shepherd is far more interested in developing character in us in the middle of the challenges. We might want a shepherd who wants, that, that, that would change our circumstances, but the great shepherd is more interested in changing us, getting involved in our hearts and our lives, changing us even in the middle of those hard circumstances. And we're not gonna stumble our way into real life if we're content with just shepherding ourselves. I'm making it just fine on my own, God, I don't need you. It's not the way to life. But we've been given a great shepherd because we are wandering sheep. We are, we're lost sheep. And that God can be depended on to lead us toward what is beautiful and what is good and what is worthy of honor even when he takes us through hardship. When your life is difficult, remember, you have a great shepherd who promises he will never leave you and he will never forsake you. He's always with you. I hope that encourages you. As you look at your life and you think, I'm not sure where where to go. I'm not sure what to do. I'm not sure what, what you have for me in the future, Lord. Remember, he is a great shepherd who will never leave you and never forsake you. But sometimes, it's great. It's great. Thanks, Clay. Thanks for telling me that I have a shepherd that's interested in leading and protecting me, but I feel completely unable to go where he's leading. Ever feel like that? I am not able, I am not capable of doing what he's called me to do. The pastor here leads us, uh, leaves us with at the end of this book is we have a God who's at work. A God who's always at work in the hearts and lives of his children. You ever feel like that? That you just, God, where, where you're going, I can't go. I don't have the strength. I don't have the energy. I don't have the fortitude. I don't have the stick to it. I don't have whatever I need. I'm lacking something that keeps me from going where you're leading me or keeps me from following your command. When we feel like that, I'm unable to do what God calls me to do. I can't be who God wants me to be. Remember verse 21. The pastor leaves us with this. May the God of peace equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight. You're not left to work it out on your own. You have a God who's come to you, and he's at work in you. That verb equip here could be translated make complete. Some of your translations may even say make perfect God's work in you. You see, God supplies in us all the good that's necessary to do his will by the power of his indwelling spirit. The Lord wants you to do what pleases him, but the way to do so begins with God being at work in us, God's power in us so that we might please him, live lives pleasing of him, that he might work within us that which is pleasing in his sight. 
you hear that? God calls us into this kind of life, and then he equips us for that kind of life. The power to bring change and bring transformation in your life is the same power that, as the pastor says here, brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus. This resurrection power, this power of God to bring life out of death, to bring good out of evil, that life-giving power of God is what is at work in you all the time if you've trusted Jesus. God in his power enables us to do what God calls us to do in living for him. St. Augustine, the North African church leader in the fourth and fifth centuries, wrote a book called The Confessions, and this is what he wrote there. He prayed this, God, command what you will and give what you command. Command what you will and give what you command, or in other words, Lord, tell me to do whatever you want me to do so long as you help me do it. That's a good prayer. That's a recognizing that God calls us to things that that are too deep for us, too big for us, too hard for us, but if God goes with us, he will enable us. Or as a friend of mine, a college friend, grew up with a cross-stitched thing in his living room hanging there, and it said this, the will of God can never lead you where the grace of God cannot keep you. It's words to live by. The will of God can never lead you where the grace of God is unable to keep you. God calls us into this kind of life, this beautiful life, this worthy life of following after him, and his grace enables us to live that life. His work in us enables us to live that kind of life. Even when we run out of strength and we run out of energy, God has an endless supply by the power of his spirit. Resurrection power, life out of death power, and he puts it to work in your life and mine that we might grow to be more like Jesus. Here's the take-home point about that blessing. God at work in you is what makes your good work possible. God at work in you is what makes your good work possible. There's not some good thing that would be necessary for you to have, but God's holding out on you. He provides everything good for doing his will, he says, at work in us, what's pleasing in his sight. And that's true for every area of your life. Every last area, every last part of your life in your work life. If you need to live a life of integrity, what you need to have that kind of life in your workplace, integrity in how you do your work, integrity with what you do in your work, the Holy Spirit provides it for you. Just ask him. He will equip you with everything good. Or in your marriage, or your relationships with family or friends. God is at work in you that you might live a life pleasing to him. There are times when you think, Lord, I can't do it anymore. I can't sacrificially love this person. It's it's too hard and it's too much. The Lord says he will give you grace. He gives power. He gives perseverance. He enables you to love as he has loved you. Just ask him everything good for doing his will. The Lord promises he will provide for you. Just look to him. Or maybe you're facing what the Puritans so often called a besetting sin. A besetting sin is a sin that's a habit. It's just kind of gotten ingrained in your life, and no matter how hard you've tried, it seems almost impossible to turn away from that sin. God is at work. 
providing for you what you need to turn from that sin and live in holiness. God promises to offer us those kinds of of grace to build us up to say no to sin and yes to godliness. So where is your lack? Where is it in your life do you feel like I don't have what it takes I need this, Lord, if I'm going to follow you where you've called me to go, if I'm going to be the person you've called me to be, Lord, you must provide blank. What is it? Ask him for it. Because our God is a God of provision, of every good thing for doing his will. If you feel trapped by your sin this morning, if you feel unlovable because of what you've done in your life, if your heart condemns you because of all of your past or maybe your future seems so murky, you can't see your way through it, remember the truth. You are not alone. Jesus has come for you, and by his power, you are not who you once were. The living God is alive and at work. You are a new creation, and by his grace, through his, his bloody cross and his, his empty tomb and his occupied throne, the Lord Jesus sends the Holy Spirit in power to you to equip you to live a life pleasing to him. Sometimes we wander through life and we feel a lot like Natalie Gilbert, standing there all alone at midcourt, thinking to ourselves, I'm not going to make it on my own. I can't do it. I can't do what you call me to do. I can't be who you've called me to be. I'm not going to make it, God. Well, he says, you are not alone. You have someone far better than a coach to come and put his arm around you to help you. You have Jesus who took on flesh and entered this world, the living God, to bring you peace with God, a peace that that lasts no matter how well you're doing or how good of a, a Christian life you say you're living. If you've trusted in the Lord Jesus, you've surrendered your life to his, and you've said, I am a great sinner, but I have an even greater Savior, there is real peace with God because Jesus came and died for you right now, and it's permanent, it's reliable, It will stand. His blood can give you peace even on your worst day. The worst day you've ever lived, if you've trusted Jesus, his blood covers all your sin. There may be someone here this morning watching online or here in this room who you've never done that. You've never trusted Jesus. You've never confessed that I have been an enemy of God. I am a great sinner but I have an even greater Savior who loved me and gave himself for me. If you've never confessed that, today is the day. The Bible would say today is the day for salvation. Trust Jesus. Give your life to him today and have peace, a reliable, lasting peace with God. Or maybe you're standing out there mid-court and wondering which way to go. There's some obstacle, there's some difficulty, and think, God, I'm not gonna make it. Jesus is so much better than a coach. He comes alongside you as a great shepherd and he's with you and he promises, I will never leave you, I will never forsake you. Or maybe you're there at mid-court and you think, I'm just running out of steam. I just can't keep going, I can't keep up. You have a Jesus whose offer to you is more than a motivational speech. You have a savior 
You have a Savior who equips you for every good work. You are not in this battle all by yourself. You will never be alone again. The living God has come for you. Trust in him and walk with him today, whatever you face. Let's pray. Lord, we are thankful that you've not left us to ourselves because we are like wandering lost sheep. What a mess we make of our lives. We do so many regrettable things, so many, so many things, Lord, that, that are horrible. And yet you've made peace for us. You've promised that by your blood we are washed clean. So, Lord, we ask that you would enable us to live and to walk in that peace today. And Lord, we ask for your guidance. Because left to ourselves, we will make nothing but a mess. So Lord, be our great shepherd. Watch over us, guide us, protect us, and lead us into the life you would have us to have. And when we've run out of steam, and we don't have anything left, would you remind us that you are the one who equips us. You equip us with everything good for doing your will. Lord, and we don't have the strength within us, would you remind us that you are at work within us to do what is pleasing in your sight, all for your glory. Lord, assure us that those great promises of the gospel are true for us today, here in this room, and they will all be true tomorrow and every other day because your covenant promises are eternal. Help us to stand firm with you, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.